You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Nation states continue to probe COVID-19 vaccine researchers. The Global Commission on the Stability of Cyberspace proposes international norms for promoting stability in cyberspace. Darkside ransomware-as-a-service operators sweeten their offer with storage options. Trouble Grabber is stealing credentials via Discord. Sad DNS code pulled from GitHub. Betsy Carmelite from Booz Allen with a forward-looking view of 5G. Rick Howard takes a look at SOAR. Many patches remain unapplied, and CMMS wants U.S. defense contractors to move toward positive security. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, November 16th, 2020. Late Friday, Microsoft said it had detected further activity by nation-state threat actors against companies involved in COVID-19 vaccine research. Strontium, Zinc, and Cerium were the groups named by Redmond. Microsoft favors elemental names for threat actors. Others call Strontium Fancy Bear, familiar as a unit of Russia's GRU, and Zinc is well known as the Lazarus Group, the premier North Korean cyber espionage outfit, Syrium is also attributed to North Korea. Redmond's statement is at least as much a denunciation as it is a report. Microsoft used last week's Paris Peace Forum to call for international restraint in cyberspace, particularly with respect to activities that put biomedical research at risk. At that forum, the Global Commission on the Stability of Cyberspace also released its final report on advancing cyberstability, which computing characterizes as a proposal for a Geneva Convention for Cyberspace, and which the Register points out will require a lot of bilateral work before the eight principles the GCSC proposes approach reality. The report advances four principles. First, responsibility. Everyone is responsible for ensuring the stability of cyberspace. Next, restraint. No state or non-state actor should take actions that impair the stability of cyberspace. Next, requirement to act. State or non-state actors should take reasonable and appropriate steps to ensure the stability of cyberspace. And respect for human rights. 
efforts to ensure the stability of cyberspace must respect human rights and the rule of law. On the basis of those principles, the Commission proposes eight norms of conduct for cyberspace. They generally advance confidence-building among nations, including potential adversaries, and they seek to implement versions of the norms of discrimination and proportionality that have traditionally shaped the laws of armed conflict. They would also enjoin responsibility for cyber hygiene and control of non-state actors that would be consistent with traditional principles of sovereignty. The Global Commission on the Stability of Cyberspace was organized by the Hague Center for Strategic Studies and the East-West Institute. It's a non-governmental organization funded by numerous governments, corporations, and organizations. Its partners, who provide the largest contributions, include the governments of the Netherlands, Microsoft, Singapore's Cybersecurity Agency, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of France, the Internet Society, and Affilius. Darkside, a ransomware-as-a-service gang, has let it be known that it's established a distributed storage system to hold and leak data obtained from ransomware victims. Leaping Computer says that researchers at Darknet monitoring shop Kilo found the discussion and associated offers on a Russophone hacking forum. Bank Info Security reported last week that Darkside had established an affiliate program. The gang sees distributed storage as a sweetener for its affiliates, The gang says it intends to host the service in Iran or other unrecognized republics to lend it even more resilience than its distributed architecture already provides. Netscope has described Troublegrabber, a credential stealer that infests the Discord gaming community platform. The malware spreads through Discord attachments and reports stolen data back to its masters through Discord messaging. Netscope sees this as another instance of an inevitable trend criminals abusing cloud apps. There's a social engineering dimension to the phenomenon, since users tend to put trust in such apps, and it's precisely such trust the attackers seek to exploit. We noted last week that researchers at the University of California, Riverside, and Tsinghua University in Beijing warned that a revival of DNS server cache poisoning could be in the offing, and that they had a proof of concept side-channel attack DNS, or SAD DNS, to prove it. Since then, the researchers have said they pulled the code for SAD DNS from GitHub, lest it fall into the wrong hands. We hope they got it locked down before the hoods noticed. The Sands Technology Institute's Internet Storm Center got thinking and asked, perhaps in a Bishop Berkeley mood, if no one talks about a vulnerability anymore, does it still exist? Their answer is the firmly realistic... Heck yes, it still exists. If the tree falls in the forest and nobody blogs about it, that tree still hit the ground. And Shodan shows that it does. The title of the blog post from Sands says, Heartbleed, Blue Keep, and other vulnerabilities that didn't disappear just because we don't talk about them anymore. They found about a hundred highly dangerous vulnerabilities long ago patched, still gurgling around in the wild. They post a list of the top ten, and it's disturbing enough in its own right. Two of the bugs on the list are, as one would imagine, Blue Keep and Heartbleed, and their presence shows, quote, that even very well-known vulnerabilities are sometimes left unpatched for years on end, end quote. So again, do apply the patches your systems need. And finally, Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, CMMC, which affects U.S. defense contractors and has been approaching for some time, 
will come into force at the beginning of December. Breaking Defense summarizes the new certification requirement as a move away from self-attestation of progress toward vulnerability reduction and toward positive verification that a company has met appropriate NIST standards. Homeland Security Day quotes NIST fellow Ron Ross as saying, quote, We literally are hemorrhaging critical information to our adversaries, explaining that CMMC is aimed at stopping the bleeding, end quote. Those seeking Pentagon contracts in the future, and that will be about 1,500 vendors in fiscal year 2021, need to demonstrate compliance with NIST and Department of Defense standards, not just pay lip service to progress towards compliance. Katie Arrington, CISO for the Office of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Acquisition, sees CMMC as representing progress toward establishing a level playing field for companies that bid on defense contracts. Contractors should pay heed. As Arrington put it, quote, we mean it, end quote. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is the CyberWire's Chief Analyst and Chief Security Officer, Rick Howard. Rick, always great to have you back. Thanks, Dave. You know, one of the things that uh, gets harder for me the older I get is keeping up with all of the acronyms and abbreviations <laughs> and names of things. You <laughs> and, and I, me both, my friend. <laughs> and I, I mean, I know, I know it's the same in every industry, but boy, it sure does seem like cybersecurity is proud of all of these things. <laughs> uh, and, and then this week on CSO Perspectives, you were taking on the topic of SOAR. And uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you haven't recently picked up the sport of paragliding. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Although so, <laughs> it is an aspiration for me, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, very good. We'll just check your insurance before you go. Uh, well, what's going on here with SOAR? 
All right, so SOAR stands for Security Orchestration Automation and Response. And Gartner tends to coin these things, okay? And they did this back in 2017. Mm. But uh, security leaders and pundits like uh, John Ultzik over at CSO Magazine, they started talking about the concept um, as far back as, oh, 2015 or so. Hmm. And the problem we're trying to solve here is how to automate the handling of all the messages, alerts, and intelligence products we are receiving in the SOC from the technology within our security stack. What's happened over the last few years is the SOC analysts are overwhelmed with the volume of these things that has exploded exponentially in recent years. Well, what is the cause of that? I mean, why why all of a sudden are, are the SOCs getting overwhelmed with all this information? Well, there seems to be some disagreement about that, but my own personal theory is that at least a contributing factor was when the entire network defender community started to implement the intrusion kill chain prevention strategy. Hmm. So before Lockheed Martin published their famous paper in 2010, most of us were using a strategy called defense in depth with mostly three prevention tools. We all had firewalls, intrusion detection systems, and antivirus systems. Hmm. After the publication, vendors came out of the woodwork to provide prevention and alerting tools for each phase of the intrusion kill chain. So as a result, many small organizations today have at least 10 security tools in their security stack. Hmm. Medium-sized companies have about 50, and large Fortune 500 companies or big governments have at least 100. So this is a far cry from the three that we all managed before the paper was published, and all of them are spewing alerts and messages into the SOC. Well, help me understand here. So... Uh, is is are, are the sword devices helping the SOC analysts uh, process all this stuff? All the all the telemetry they're getting from all these devices. That's right. So uh, most times, SOC analysts are just manually deciding to either ignore the messages or delete them, or save them for future reference, or you know pass them up the chain for uh, further consideration. Mm. So sword tools help automate those decisions. But I will say that there isn't universal agreement from the CISO community that SOAR tools are necessary. Some say, why do you need a tool to do that? Why don't you just tune the security device to not send all those unneeded messages? So I was talking to Rick Doten about this. He is the CISO for Carolina Complete Health, and he's a regular visitor to the CyberWire's hash table. It lets you not effectively use the tools you have. It kind of covers up for the fact that, well, I put in this email gateway and I just you know, left the default settings on and it does, it blocks spam and it helps, you know, find, you know, uh, mad links and malware and stuff, you know, but I get all this extra things to it. So I'll add a SOAR tool that'll kind of clean it up instead of looking at it and how can I use it to its potential. So you have a lot of tools you're using 20% of their potential because you don't want to dig into it and having something kind of pick up all the slack to kind of like normalize it so a human doesn't get bombarded. I agree with Rick to a point. If you are just trying to reduce the noise volume in your SOC, there might be a cheaper way to do it. But if you're using SOAR tools to help with infrastructure as code projects or your DevSecOps projects, SOAR tools might be a nice lever to pull to help you on your way. And we're going to talk about all of that in this episode of the CSO Perspective. All right. Well, you can check that out and much more over on CyberWire Pro. That is on our website, thecyberwire.com. It's CSO Perspectives. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Betsy Carmelite. She's a senior associate at Booz Allen Hamilton. Uh, Betsy, it is always great to have you back. I wanted to touch base with you today about um, 5G and uh, where we stand right now, the, the deployment in the United States and some of the things that you're tracking there. What do you have to share with us today? I wanted to start with some of the foundational points about 5G as we do see its popularity increase and enterprises and consumers anticipate the gains from 5G networks. Um, there are really three main concepts for enterprises to understand as this 5G adoption takes hold. First, 5G is really the convergence of the physical device realm and the digital environment at scale. That's really important, um, mm. both at the consumer level and at the critical infrastructure level. Secondly, because of this convergence and scale, Security really has to be part of the design of 5G because any breach or attack, and we'd be looking at like high impact, high probability events across this ecosystem, um, would would really affect multiple components of the 5G ecosystem. Um, we'll touch a, on a couple of these threat scenarios in a moment. Um, mm. And lastly, 5G may be popular and gaining popularity as we see from advertising um, prevalence of discussion in the media, but 5G is really at its nascent stage right now, and we're looking at per pervasive adoption uh, in the in the coming three to five years. Yeah, you know, I, I really wanted to, to touch with that specific point on you because. Um, you know, I'm on the verge of uh, upgrading uh, to my first 5G device, but, you know, the reviews that I'm seeing on the consumer side of things, uh, the folks in the tech world are saying, you know, it's not quite there yet. We're not seeing those promised high speeds and um, you know, it's maybe it's yet to come, but uh, the, the excitement seems to be waning a little bit. Yeah, I would say that that's an opportunity. And, and what this means is that we have time to get the security application of 5G right, um, mm. right get it right now to get ready for what's on the horizon. Um, so we've seen statements from the White House earlier this year that malicious actors are already seeking to exploit 5G technology. Um, and that is a target-rich environment because of the scale of the devices 5G will connect and the amount of data that will be transmitted. So this is an opportunity now to, to get this right and get it secure. Hmm. So what are some of the specific technologies that are going to make this transition possible? And, and how is that going to affect organizations and, and their ability to use it? I wanted to touch on a couple of these technologies um, and they also demonstrate where new components from 5G come into play, as well as a couple of threat scenarios that could impact organizations' use of 5G. Um, first, I'm going to touch on MEC, which is multi-access edge compute. And mm. MEC distributes data and computation-intensive tasks to resources to the radio interfaces. 
Um, the radio interfaces are the standard frameworks for communication between wireless devices and base stations through radio waves. Uh, so rather than relying on traditional remote centralized cloud computing environments, the MEC works closer with those radio access networks. The benefit there is that um, MEC increases streaming and processing efficiency, uh, decreases congestion on the broader mobile network, which is one of the things that many people are looking forward to, as you mentioned. Um, and it brings higher performance capabilities to less powerful devices like virtual reality, video analytics, and connected vehicles. One of the threat scenarios we're looking at, possible to imagine, um, for instance, a disgruntled employee who might want to modify data um, that's being processed on an industrial manufacturing mech deployment, um, maybe at, a, at an autonomous smart factory. Um, if that data modification falsely indicates more resources are being consumed than they really are, this could cause additional perishable materials to be ordered, could result in waste and increased operating expenses. And in this case, mitigations could be to conduct validation to ensure the data being processed is the same data that was reported from the smart sensors in the factory, or use a privately hosted Mac instance that's not shared to reduce chance of unauthorized access to the Mac. So really, I mean, it strikes me that what we're looking at is a, a, an enabling technology with a lot of potential. Uh, perhaps a little patience is in order here, but yeah. uh, there's good things to come. Yep, that, that's right. That's right. I think for, for the future, um, next steps in, in looking at resilience of 5G, to, to make all these components work together and ensure the security and effective policies for 5G deployment, um, all of this, again, is still a few years away. It's really going to take public and private industry cooperation. Uh, we've already seen CISA release its policies on 5G, and those co that cooperation should foster a collaborative partnership across industry. There's so many technologies, um, new and existing, to consider and to protect, and the stakes are really too high. So what's in the realm of the here and now is, is to do what we actually see the Department of Defense doing, pilot the technologies get messy with them, and, and determine what does the practical application of 5G look like? Where will it work? Where is the environment right? Where did we get it wrong? Really recommending moving into real-world testing and away from like the five-year research study. Um, at Booz Allen, we're doing the same thing, and it's really best practice for any company to do real-world testing around this technology. All right. Well, Betsy Carmelite, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. It's fresh and clean as a whistle. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security Ha! I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. And check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. 
The subject there is threat intelligence, and every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.